Well, good morning. Welcome to Anchor. My name is Brian. For those of you that don't know me, I'm one of the leaders here at Anchor. And um, Matt and Brad, the other leaders, uh, are away, as Hope mentioned. And I'm looking forward to them coming back because it's hard work preparing a sermon. Let me tell you, I'm very grateful for Matt and his giftings. Um, One more quick announcement before we get into our study this morning. And that is uh, uh, Ruth, who many of you know is a part of our, our family um, uh, her, fa- her grandfather passed away uh, yesterday, and so um, I thought we might just pause and pray for her real quick, um, because the, Bi- the Bible tells us that when one part of the body hurts, the whole body hurts, and um, uh, her grandfather knew Jesus and is with him in glory, um, and yet the family hurts, um, and so let's pray. Lord, we do want to lift up to you our sister Ruth and her family, God, and... Um, God, do you know what it's like to, to hurt and to have pain? And, um, and so I pray that you would comfort that family like only you know how, God. Uh, that you would surround them with support and love. And um, God, I pray that you would help them uh, to have a heart that rejoices in the midst of difficulty, that rejoices in the fact that... Uh, Sting has no death over their grandfather, over that man that's lived a life of faith and and has lived for your glory. Uh, Pray, Lord, that you would give them a heart to rejoice in in the fact that he's your child. uh, But God, would you comfort that family? Um, Help us as a family to to support and nurture and uphold those uh, that are hurting. We ask it in your strong name. Amen. Well, first of all, I want to say my wife has helped with doing the set design here at Anchor, and so I don't get very many opportunities to brag about my wife from the pulpit, and so can you all just give my wife a a round of applause? I think she's done a great job and worked hard to to get our things hanging over the doors and our wreaths, and and same with Jace helping me with lights, so thank you for everyone that's put an effort uh, to make church beautiful. We value it here at Anchor. We want nothing to be a stumbling block to people as they walk in the door, and so we work hard to make our space beautiful, and so thank you, my beautiful wife. Um, Today's sermon uh, is titled Storage Wars. Have any of you guys ever seen the show Storage Wars in America? No one? That's right. It's okay. It's only in America. Let let me explain what happens in this show, right? Uh, For those of you that haven't seen it, Storage Wars is these pawnbrokers, it's one of the only words that I like Americans saying, pawnbrokers, um, uh, because you guys say it a little bit different, don't you? Pawnbrokers or something? Say Australian accent, when you say it, it just sounds a bit different. So these pawnbrokers in America go out and they have secondhand shops, and what they do is they get in their 18-wheelers, their big rigs, they go all around America and they look for storage units that are that have been abandoned and they go to bid on these storage units in hopes that they might gain some treasure of some sort that they can then resell in their secondhand shops. I know, only in America, right? And yet, these guys are, it's, it's a very entertaining show. I encourage you to go and watch it if you haven't seen it. But what happens is these guys, they, they don't get much time to see what's in these containers, right? Uh, they don't get to go in and inspect the containers. The, 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 the doors roll up and they, they peer in. They can't go in. They can't touch anything. They've got to determine, based on what they see momentarily, if there's anything of value worth bidding on in those containers. And so, let's say, you know, they, they see something worth value, but the other pawnbrokers don't see anything worth value. 
But they know that their, their, their friends, that are their competitors, see something of value. And so what they do is, as the bidding begins... Uh, this anxious bidding to get this treasure that they so want. As the bidding begins, the other people that don't want it, they begin to up the bid and up the bid and up the bid. And so they, they have no interest in taking the container, but they just want to drive their competitors out of business. And so these people, they, they, they finally win the bid or they get the storage container and then they get to go in and look through it. And when they get to go in and look through it, uh, they discover whether they did a good job or a bad job, whether they made a good decision or a bad decision going for this container. And uh, what happens is if most of the time what happens is that they were pretty successful. They could see and they, they, you know, they're shrewd businessmen and women and so uh, they, they get a return on their investment. They, they go and they sell these things that, that they found, these treasures or these trash, but sometimes they totally lose out. And the whole, they spend thousands of dollars on these containers and all of it goes down the dumps. There's like $10 worth of value and they spent thousands. And so what that does is that causes these people to just want to, to get the next one. And so the next one that comes up, they're even more willing to go after it. And, and they're even more stressed out because they've already lost 1000 or $2,000 on the day. There's no return on their investment. And so they are willing to do whatever it takes to go after that storage container. It's a lot of stress, a lot of anxiety. Well, this morning we're facing a storage wars of sort. Not, not this kind of, you know, American glamorized storage war, but we're facing a storage war. Uh, and before we get into it, I'm just going to ask again that you would join me as we pray, because nothing that I say will be of value unless the Holy Spirit illuminates your understanding so that you might hear from him. So let's pray. Father, we thank you for the chance to come before you and to look at your word this morning. And um, God, we pray like David, that you would open our eyes, that we might see wondrous things in your law, in your word, God. We pray, Holy Spirit, that you would give us ears to hear what you would say today, that we would be receptive to all that you want to teach us, God. That we don't want to just come and, and gather uh, and, and hear a Bible study in God unchanged, God. We want our hearts to be changed, Lord. We want to be transformed. And so, God, we pray that you would meet us in this place, that you would speak to us for your name's sake, God, for your glory and for our good, and we ask it in your strong name. And all those agreed said, amen. I want to read our passage this morning. It's Luke 12, starting in verse 22. He says, And he said to his disciples, this is Jesus, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you'll put on. For life is more than food, and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens, they neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouse nor barn, and yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? If then you're not able to do as small as a thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass, which is alive in the field today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? And do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, 
nor be worried, for all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows that you have need of them. Instead, seek his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that do not fail, where no thief approaches, where no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Last week's text, we, we saw Jesus speaking about greed and how deceptive greed is, how we don't really see ourselves as having a problem with greed. And Jesus refused to help a man that requested him to help in matters of inheritance, if you remember from last week. And the reason is because this man was only worried about the material. He was only worried about his inheritance. He wasn't worried about his spiritual condition or deeper issues. He was just worried about getting his third of the inheritance, two-thirds for the older sibling, one-third for the younger sibling. And so he comes to Jesus, and, and when he comes to Jesus, he interrupts Jesus in this discourse, it's called the Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus is talking about heavenly perspective, kingdom-mindedness, what the new society will look like. You see, uh, this man had it all wrong. He was seeking the wrong things. And Jesus didn't give him what he wanted because that was not what Jesus was here about. Jesus had a mission far greater than just meeting these basic needs of these people, of these people that were coming in, just in the, the material needs. Then Jesus moved on into a parable. And in the parable, we saw this man that had a lot of possessions. And yet, his much possessions wasn't enough. He continued to store up, store up, store up treasures on earth. And so Jesus rebuked the man that continued to store up in his storehouses because the man failed as a, he, he was a fool, God called him. God, Jesus called the man a fool because he failed to see reality. He failed to see that there was a spiritual reality beyond the earthly possessions, beyond the earthly needs. There was a spiritual reality. The man should have built up his treasure in heaven with the same tenacity that he sought to build up his treasures on earth. That was the problem last week. And Jesus again ended the parable exhorting those that were listening not to follow the way of the fool, but rather to be rich towards God. You see, we have an option to either be rich in the material world or to be rich in the world to come. We can store up here or we can store up there. We can seek here or we can seek there. You know, every day we're bombarded with endless choice. Would you, would you say so? I, there's like 3,500 3, advertisements that we all see a day, and we're bombarded with choice. I mean, I go to the cereal aisle of the grocery store, and I'm like, ah, oh, I can't figure it out. There's like a whole wall of cereal. I don't know which one to choose. We have choice after choice after choice. Should I stay in this job, or should I move over there, or should I do this, or should I do that? It's been called the burden of choice. So what is it that helps us? What is it that enables us to make good choices? What is it that enables you guys to make good choices? We all make choices every day, and here's what they're made based on. Priorities. 
Choices are made based on priorities. We choose based on what matters most. If you followed me around and looked at all the decisions that I made and how I spent my money and spent my energy and spent my time, you you get a pretty good idea of what matters most to Brian Henderson. But what if we followed you around? That's a bit weird, but what if this whole group of people up and walked and followed you around through your week? What would it reveal? What would we discover about your life? What could be said about this church? Jesus addresses this question, and he does so by summarizing all options into two categories, basically. The us-centered or the God-centered. A principle that you'll find in life is that your peace or your anxiety is directly related to what matters to you. If money's the most important thing to you, you'll be doing all right if you have some, right? You'll be like, yeah, I'm sweet. I've got a storehouse. I'm good. Money matters most, but I'm, I'm comfortable. But if money matters most to you and you don't have it, you'll be undone. You'll be full of anxiety, depression, and all the things that follow. Your peace and anxiety is directly related to what matters most. We all have priorities, but what priorities matter most? And what priority is Jesus telling us to have? Sunday school answer, God. Okay, we can all, we can all leave now. That's, the, that's our priority. We should all have God as our priority. Let's go. Well, here's the reason why we need to dig in a little bit more than five minutes on what our priority ought to be. God isn't asking what our priority ought to be. We all know what our priority ought to be. But what he's trying to dig into is what is our priority? What tangibly is our priorities? Not theoretically, but right here, right now, what matters most to you? If we seek here and store up here, we can be sure of a life full of anxiety and worry, as well as, as we saw last week, a life tinged with greed and materialism. So if you're investing in or storing up here, you can be sure, uh, uh, sorry, if, if, if you're investing in pursuing self-focused, short-sighted visions of life that ignore God, you'll see a world of scarcity and darkness. We're consumers. What I mean by that is consumers are people that are always wanting more, right? And, and consumerism is based on the back end of inadequacy. I don't have enough, I don't have enough, I don't have enough, Right? That's what consumerism is. And so what happens in consumerism is those that are selling to us, they know our weakness, that we don't have enough, we don't have enough, and so they play on that mindset, and they play into our sense of inadequacy, and they sell us more. They sell us the lie that we need more, more, more. And that causes anxiety in our lives, because we're never sure if we have enough, we always want more. But on the other hand, if you're investing in a God-focused life, an eternal vision of life, you'll see the world in a completely different way. Not as a consumer, but as a citizen. Not consumers, but citizens. Citizens of the kingdom of God. Jesus goes on to describe life between these alternatives. Verse 22. He says to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. 
what you will eat, nor about your body, what you'll put on. For life is more than food, and the body more than clothing. Anxiety or, or worry, they're synonymous, have been said to be like sitting in a rocking chair. It gives you something to do, but you won't get anywhere. So what's worry? What is worry? Worry is care gone wrong. Jesus isn't saying that we're not to care in general. We're just to be reckless and not care about things. He isn't saying don't care even about food. He's saying you're not to care too much. You're not to have care that goes wrong. You're not to have care that is sick. You're not to have inordinate amounts of care. That's what Jesus is concerned about. And that's what's going on here. Inordinate amounts of care, as Jesus tells these people, don't be anxious. Life is more than these things. Again, he doesn't say that life excludes these things or that they're bad, but that life is more than these things. Are we going to choose the way of worry or are we going to choose the way of faith? Jesus here in this passage addresses you know, the common areas of life that we tend to focus on, the areas we tend to worry about, food and clothing and time. And he says, first of all, it's not, is not life more than these things? Isn't there something deeper and grander and greater for us to spend all of our time and our energy and our effort thinking about? Then he says, learn from the birds. I love that. Can't you just imagine Jesus here in the, on the Sermon of the Mount and there's this bird that goes by, Gah! or whatever a sound a bird makes. And he's like, learn from the birds. Learn from the birds about provision. Verse 24, consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouse nor barn. And yet God feeds them. Here's the key of how much more value are you than the birds? incredible words from Jesus of how much more valuable you guys, do you get it? Of how much more valuable are you than the birds? He doesn't say, notice that the birds don't go after their food. It doesn't say that they don't do anything. They do. They work for their food. Birds go out and they collect their food. They work for it. They go and they find it. His point is that God has created a world in which they can obtain it. So this isn't a, a teaching saying, hey guys, go out, quit your jobs, don't do anything, don't work. It's not what I'm saying. Please don't take that away from my sermon today. He's not saying that. He's not saying you don't have to work to get food. He's saying that God has created a world in which food and these things can be obtained. And yet we act as though we've forgotten that. When we don't have what we think we need, we automatically assume God doesn't care. God hates me when I don't have what I need. How dare you, God, not give me what I need. But here's the interesting thing about Jesus pointing out the birds and then telling us that we're much more value. Here's one of Jesus' points. The most important creatures in the world, us, human beings, have forgotten the most basic things. The fact that Jesus has to draw our attention back to the birds indicates something. Indicates that we've forgotten basic things. 
And then he lovingly reminds us one of the most beautiful passages in the Sermon on the Mount, you're more valuable than they, guys. Now you might say, my thing, I don't, I don't worry about food or there's other things that you worry about, isn't there? This week I've been confronted with my worry in, in major ways. Tara had a bit of a health concern and the first thing that happened when she told me that is I was undone. Oh no. I go to the worst case scenario, I think of the worst thing and here's why. Because she is my sense of significance oftentimes. If I don't have her, I don't have significance. Or another example, I get panic attacks when I think about my kids in school here. I get so much, I'm, I'm, I'm absolutely bogged down with grief and fear and worry. What have we forgotten about God's care for us? Have we forgotten about it? God has provided, created a world by which birds are provided for. Don't you know how much you mean to God? Do you think that God does not care? He moves on in verse 25, which is a, a tricky verse. It says, And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? If then you're not able to do such a small thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? It's tricky because in the original language, it's very nuanced. It can either mean span of life, or as some translations put it, who by worrying can add one cubit to his stature. So it can be referring to either time or appearance. But of course, Jesus here addresses both in this sermon, both our time and our appearance, the things that we get anxious about. Think about how much you worry about time. Now, if you're like me, you worry a lot about time. I'm a freak when it comes to time. You should talk to my wife. She'll verify that I'm a freak when it comes to time. I'm like, if we have to be somewhere at 9, I'm like, at 8.40, we need to be like, the kids need to be strapped in the car, ready to go. And I'm up like, like, like telling Tara, hey, you know, if you got to go back and get something or get your keys or if you forgot something, that's going to add like 60 seconds to my timetable and, you know, we really need to get going. I'm a freak about time. Some of you guys, time is like a concept. You get to church at 10 30, for a 10.30 service at 11 o'clock and you're like, why are there so many people here? Well, church started at 10.30. I love the countdown timer. I'm a time person. I love that we have a countdown timer. The problem is that I worry about time. And then what happens when I worry about time is that we get to these places early uh, because I'm I'm so anxious about it. And Tara's like, now what? I'm like, we wait. (laughs) We're there early, but, you know, we're on time. Worry and anxiety not only do not add to your life, they're actually a waste of time, literally. Worry and anxiety are a waste of time. Actually, worry and anxiety, if you look at studies, help you to lose your life quicker because the stress and the anxiety that it causes. Learn from the birds, he says, and then learn from the flowers. Now, in this next passage, he's not referring to clothing only as our basic necessity, but he absolutely includes that, but he's also referring to what we value to get our appearance from. 
He addresses both basic necessity and the value that we put on appearance. He goes on to say, Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothed the grass, the grass which is alive in the field today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? Again, he's addressing the practical concern for clothing, but also our concerns for appearance. He doesn't say that they don't matter. After all, God provides for them. But he, he addresses our tendencies to give our appearance way more significance than what it was ever meant to have. If you guys are honest, you give appearance a lot of significance. I do. He knows how much we value appearance. And a major part of appearance is size, right? In this passage, back in the day, if you had a cubit, if you were a little bit taller, you had it going on. You were tall and people looked up to you. Nowadays, we just value size in general. You've got to be a little bigger here, a little smaller here. I've got to be a little bit taller but not too tall, that's like awkward, I've got to be like just right. Why is it that we freak out about our appearance? It may be that we believe deep down in our hearts that if we appear a certain way, that we'll be valuable in someone's eyes. If I could just get myself to look like this, I'd be valuable to somebody. God would say to each and every one of you, you are valuable to me. There's another beauty that's far more important than appearance. And, and this is the beauty that God himself gives to us. Jesus says, look at nature for a moment. The gorgeous, diverse colors of the flowers that just light up the fields. Look at them. They're beautiful. Look at nature. Look, look how creative our God is. He's done amazing things. God did all that. And then he brings up Solomon. Solomon was one of the richest men in all of the ancient world, he had it all. He would have been clothed in the finest of peril. No one else in his day would have been clothed better. And when people heard about him, they wanted to go and see him. They wanted to go journey just to see this guy, Solomon. Man, I hear that this guy looks good. He was like the ultimate hipster. Like everyone wanted to be him. Let's travel to Israel. Let's go see Solomon. He's on the cover of Flocks Monthly. He's the guy that you want to be around. He's got it going on. You look at Solomon, you're like, man, Solomon, you're off the hook. And Jesus says, Solomon has nothing on the flowers of the world that God made. Nothing. Jesus wants you to see the value that you have to him. Jesus is saying, you're worried about your waistline, but you don't realize that First of all, you're a human being. You guys ever wake up and be like, I'm a human being. Ah, it's amazing. I've got like eyes and I can talk and I can see. I mean, it's pretty incredible, right? We lose sight so quickly of the fact that not only are we humans, but we're image bearers of God. The one who created the entire universe. And we were created to reflect God. It's astounding, and yet it's so easy to forget. Jesus' point is simple. 
The true clothing and the true sustenance that we need comes down from above, not from toiling or spinning or being anxious about our appearance. The true clothing comes from above. Isn't this what the gospel of Jesus is all about? We as humans, because of our sin, because we put other things first, because of other goals and other priorities that we've put ahead of God, we're in need of covering for our sin, every one of us. We're in need of covering for our shame. And so Jesus had to come to save us. He had to come to live rightly on our behalf. He had to come and bear the penalty of our wrong. And when he did so, he was stripped naked. He went naked to the cross to to pay the price for what our sin deserved. And then he rose again to give us his righteousness as a gift through faith. He clothed us with his righteousness. If you believe upon Jesus, you're clothed in the righteousness of God. You are robed in the righteousness of God. You're clothed in his beauty, in his splendor, so that when God sees you, he sees the beauty of Christ. No need to toil or spin over our clothing. We just need to embrace the clothing from on high, the clothing from God that we have been clothed with the righteousness of God. This is the sole food that you need. So listen. True beauty is the redeemed soul. Everything else is just accessories. Everything else that you do, you're just accessorizing. True beauty is the redeemed soul. Children of God. You guys need to keep this in mind. I need to keep this in mind. We're living in God's world. Sorry, I lost myself in my notes. Worry just doesn't fit in for us. It's not fitting for us. Do you see, one of the ways that he shows you what matters most is by telling you how much you guys matter to him. The question is, is our focus right? Are we choosing the right things? Are we walking in kingdom priorities or are we walking freaking out about the cares of this world? Is our church walking in kingdom priorities or the cares of the world? Jesus tells us very clearly that the only way to deal with our earthly concern is to put heavenly ones first. He says in verse 29, Do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried, for all the nations of the world seek after these things. And your Father knows that you have need of them. Instead, seek his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. The only way to deal with our earthly concern and all the things that we have that, have, we have that are burdening us is coming into this room, all the things that are burdening us coming into this room is to put heavenly concerns first. Seek ye first the kingdom. It's the only way to get rid of our earthly concerns. But you may say, no, 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 I, I need this burden. I need this thing that's burdening me. I need it first. You may be that you have an inordinate view of the things that you're freaking out about. They may be the thing that are your God. They may be the thing you're pursuing. 
the remedy to having a life of anxiety is putting God first, according to what Jesus has to say here. Put heaven first. The greatest, king, the greatest concern ought to be God and his kingdom, his righteousness, which he gives you as a gift. You don't have to earn it. It's not what he's saying. It's a gift. Receive it. Seek first God and his kingdom. Friends, do it. Throw yourself at the things of God. And you'll find that as you throw your thing, yourself at the things of God, that you'll find that your affections for him will grow and grow and grow. Because the, the, the security and the provision that God gives us in Jesus is incomparably better than anything else that we can get on ourselves or on our own. Anything that the world can give us. So throw yourself into the kingdom of God. Verse 32 says, Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. I love this. What a gentle reminder. Not only are we a flock, but we have a loving Father. Fear not, little flock. I love you. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. When you make God your everything, everything else dissipates. He's a loving Father. He'll provide all of our needs. We must move from the sphere of fear to faith. Therefore, it says in verse 33, I know you're probably waiting for when I got to money. Here it is. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourself with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where nor thief, no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. I know Hope said that we're doing a, a two-week money series on money and material possessions, but greed and money, uh, sorry, greed and anxiety are so closely linked. We can't, you can't really divorce them. It's like, what comes first, the chicken or the egg? I'm, I'm anxious about things, and so I, I want more. Or I want more, and so it causes me to be anxious about things. They're, they're both an issue. But if we move from the sphere of Fear to faith, uh, our life will actually be generous. When we actually are focused on heavenly things and not earthly things, apparently, according to this scripture, the outworking of a non-anxious life is a generous life. Again, a non-anxious life is non-greedy, and therefore the flip side of the coin is that an anxious life is greedy. Basically, what we're seeing here in this passage is this question. How does the beauty and reality of this loving father that we have who cares for all of our needs, how does it affect our wallets? In light of the fact that we have a father that promises to look after not only our spiritual needs, but also our tangibles, our physical needs, we can be generous. I'm no longer needing to hoard things up or, or to store up on this earth, but rather in the age to come. Don't hoard, but give is the principle here. You see, the place your treasure is is the place that you will most want to be. If you seek his kingdom, and if, if you seek his control in every aspect of your life, that will be where your treasure will be. 
This is what motivated Jim Elliott. Anyone ever heard of Jim Elliott, the guy that went and shared his faith with this tribe that eventually would martyr him, would kill him in a cannibalistic way? A year before that happened, he wrote this. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Jim got it. He got what it meant to be heavenly minded, to have a kingdom perspective, to store up his heavens, his treasures in heaven, not on earth. His treasure was heaven, chiefly the person Christ Jesus. What is it that we value? Is it our money? Is it our material possessions? Treasures are the things that we try to obtain because the value that they bring to us. We try and secure them so that we can have a sense of value and significance. We go after our treasures. I don't know what your treasure is. You guys do. It could be career. It could be, you know, money. It could be appearance, as we already talked about. Whatever it is that you treasure, you go after. But Jesus calls into question the things that we are clinging to is durability. What are you trying to secure that nature and thieves can't take away? What do you value on earth? Again, is it money? Is it social status? Is it position, career, relationships? Not only did Jim Elliott get it right, but my wife got it right this week. I was preparing to teach And I was just at this section, and she sent me this text message. And this is what it said. Bri, I can't physically sit here and spend hundreds of dollars on our kids while there's homeless people sitting out in the rain begging for money. Can we somehow gift our kids with the gift of giving? I mean it. I literally can't do it. Can we maybe get them one or two small presents and then hire a motorhome and go on a road trip around and love people in need? I have the best wife, right? It's amazing. But she got it. She didn't want to store up her treasures here or be a consumer or get more and get into this whole idea that causes us to be anxious and to continue to lust for more in this whole battle. She wanted to give it away. She saw the need around her. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. We just talked the other day, and Tara and I have decided for our family on Christmas that Christmas morning we're going to wake up early, we're going to put great homeless packs together, and we're going to go hand out things to the homeless instead of opening gifts with our kids. That's not to boast in ourselves, but here's the thing, you guys. When your treasure is heaven and what he's already done on your behalf in Christ, you get radically generous with your time, your energy, your resources, because they're not yours. He gives them to you. They're his provisions. He he gives you what you have need of. You don't need to worry about them, but you don't hold on to them like they're yours. You don't hold on to them for dear life. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. What you invest in, there your heart will be also. What do you guys make sacrifices for? Think about it. What do you make sacrifices for? That's your treasure. What you're willing to sacrifice things for is your treasure. The value of something is determined by what someone will give for it. 
uh, either ask yourself or ask a, either ask your friend or step out of yourself and ask, what do I value? What am I willing to sacrifice anything to attain? It's probably your God, that thing. In some way, it's a functional savior in your life. It's a God. Tim Keller says, follow your fears or your anxieties and it'll lead you straight to your idolatries, your idols. The world is wise for earthly comforts. And the world goes after earthly comforts. We too should be wise for that which is eternal, for that which is everlasting. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. You've set your heart on something, and you've said, if, if I have that, I have significance. I have security. It could be your children. Again, it could be your status, your career, a certain amount of money in the bank, physical beauty. You'll do anything for it. You'll even die for it. You'll pay the cost for it. Anything to maintain it, sustain it, reclaim it. But Jesus Christ came and died for you. Why would he go to hell for you and for me? Why? Because you and I are his treasure. We are Jesus' treasure. Do you guys wake up in the morning and not only say, I'm human, but I am Jesus' treasure? I don't have to worry about life or where I'll go or what I'll do or what I'll eat or how I appear or fill in the blank. You are Jesus' treasure. Every other treasure in the world will insist that you die for it. Die trying to attain it. Die trying to get it. Spend your whole energy after that thing. But Jesus died to purchase you. It's the only treasure that you don't actually have to die to get. He already died so that you could be his treasure. So if you don't have freedom to give your money or whatever else it is that you hold dear, your time, your resources, your energy, chiefly in this passage, your money, if you don't have the freedom to give your money away, it's because something besides Jesus is your your treasure. Think about and embrace the radical generosity of Jesus and you'll get freedom. When you see him dying because you were his treasure, he'll be your treasure. When you look to the cross and you see that he died because you were his treasure, he will become your treasure. You will be wrecked by the gospel. Your life will be totally changed. You won't value things here. And when you do, because you will, you can remind yourself. That's what we're doing this morning, right? As we look at the word, we're reminding ourselves, hey, actually, all the consumerism, all the world, everything that tells me to treasure these things, they're not actually treasures. Jesus is my treasure, and I am his treasure. It reminds me of, I think it's Song of Solomon's, I am my beloved's and my beloved's is mine. So we get to look at the containers 
and make a decision this morning. We have a storage wars on our, on our hands. But we get to look in to the containers and see which one we're going to invest all of our time, our talents, our energies, our finances into. The container of this world, the tangibles, the here, the now, the physical, or the container of heaven. One container will leave us greedy, constantly wanting more, though never really feeling satisfied. We may even choose to bid on it, but it's certain to have no lasting treasure, only fleeting pleasure. Or we can choose a storage unit that is full of infinite treasure, that will never waste away, that can never be taken from you. We don't need to outbid those around us to attain it. We don't need to compare ourselves to others to get it. It's freely given if you believe on him whom the Father has sent. The choice is yours. We're bombarded with choice. Storage war is yours. Where will you store up? Will you store up here or will you store up in eternity? Will Jesus be your treasure or will something else be your treasure? This morning, we're going to take communion. I'm going to ask the band to come back up. As you take communion, I want you guys to remind yourself of who you are in Christ. That's what this is about. It's, it's, it's remembering what Jesus has done on your behalf. He became poor so that you might become rich. He was stripped that you might be his treasure. And so as you come and you take the communion this morning, you dip the bread into the, the grape juice, you're preaching that good news to your heart and you're reminding yourself, yeah, though at times I admit I store up here, I treasure things here that I ought not to, there's freedom when you look to Jesus. There's freedom from your sin. There's freedom from anxiety. There's freedom from worry as you gaze upon the one that set you free. And so I encourage you to do that. And if you need prayer, there'll be a couple of us up the back ready to pray for you. But take these things in remembrance of all that Jesus has done for you and make him your treasure. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you, Jesus, have come and you've clothed us. We no longer need to long for our appearance to be the thing that gains us acceptance, that you've said, you are my child, I love you. You've accepted us, God. You've called us valuable, so valuable that you would go to the cross on our behalf. And as your word says, for the joy that was set before you, you endured the cross, despised the shame, and you made a way, God, where there was no way The Bible says the veil has been torn that separated me from you and now I can come boldly to your throne, God. I can be clothed upon with your righteousness. And I can therefore, God, live a life where I treasure and value you above all else. God, help us where we treasure things above you. Change our hearts. Renew us, God, we pray in your strong name. Amen.